goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Actually, I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, your current role at um, at Teradata. What type of daily challenges or business problems are you working on? Or I'm sure it's is it vastly different from your your previous role at NBC and Walt Disney? Yes. Um, so I think there there are two fundamental differences. The first is that uh, Teradata is a B two B company, and in my, in the, and in my 15 years at Disney and Universal, I was um, almost always B2C. Mm. So I was always looking at the consumer. I was all, um, always figuring out, okay, how do I go ahead and um, get a consumer to buy a ticket to a theme park? And granted, that at times can be a very long purchase cycle. So that's, that's one. And the second is um, when you're in-house, uh, for me, it was at Disney and Universal, but for um, for everyone, if you're, if you're an internal data science group, um, a lot, you know, you're dealing with one particular industry and it's, and I will not go into any, I'll, I will not talk to anyone in, in an industry and pretend to know more than they do, because that's what they think about 24 mm-hmm. seven. But um, what, what a role like the one I have as principal data scientist at Turgate allows me to do is to, um, is to see these different industries. So one day I could be talking to a group that does um, video games, and another day I could be talking to a, a company that's um, that's in um, that's that's doing uh, transportation like uh, trains or airplanes, um, and then the next day I could be talking to a company that's in healthcare. So I need to be able to switch my um, my thinking from from you know gaming to transportation to healthcare. Um, all in, all in the, you know, sometimes the same day, uh, sometimes back to back to back. So Phil, one of the things that, um, and is well known in the industry is that data scientists, you know, majority of the time, maybe 60%, 70%, 80%, they're dealing with, you know, data wrangling, making sure the yeah. data is a good quality, it's a clean data. I mean, they're not spending majority of the time writing algorithms and all that stuff, right? So, um, so, so what's your experience uh, is it consistently poor data you're dealing with? Uh, and then the second part of that question is, what's your advice in dealing with that? So actually, I'll, I'll start off on the 20%, the modeling part. It's a good thing that we're not writing the algorithms all the time. Um, you know, when, I, when I first entered into engineering, I remember I had to write my own FFT program. Mm. So I had to pull up numerical recipes in C. I had to type in. Um, the, the two-page algorithm on how to do a fast Fourier transform, and I had to enter in um, that, that code. Nowadays, it's all in libraries, and it's not just um, basic math like, like Fourier transforms, but it's far more sophisticated frameworks and, uh, for example, like TensorFlow, for instance. Um, so uh, so it's, I think it's great that we're not spending as much time writing the raw code anymore or writing mm-hmm. the raw algorithm. Of course, it's, we still need to know what that algorithm does, and we still need to know what are the assumptions going into it. But my goodness, I, I don't want to have to write 
um, low-level algorithms anymore. Uh, that and 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 spend a day or two finding out that I forgot a negative sign somewhere. Uh, <laughs> so so I think it's great that we do that. Um, as far as the data wrangling part, I think that's something we need to um, we need to explain more to business users. I there are so many times I get companies. Um, or, or C-level executives who say, okay, well, if I just give you this, then it should, um, they should go ahead and work and it shouldn't take you that long. You should be able to build a model, like yeah. let's call it in a couple of days. Yeah. And, and, and this happens to me you know, fairly regularly where someone will say, well, here's the data set, go, go deal with it. And I always take them back and I say, well, actually I have three questions for you. And I would like to spend more of our time upfront answering these three questions, because the more time you spend up front, the, the faster the rest of the process is going to be. And the questions I ask them are, first of all, what data tables do you have? Mm. You know, tell me what, what's the data um, that you have. Um, the second question I have is, tell me what a, what a journey would be. So for example, if it's a B2C company, what's that customer journey? Yeah. Like, it's, let's go through a few different paths. For instance, a customer sees a television commercial and then a customer goes to a website and the customer does a search and then maybe you know, it clicks on this and then it, it abandons a cart. And we'll go through maybe five, 10, 15, however different scenarios there are. And then the third question I have is, okay, now that, now that we've talked about what that customer journey is and we've talked about what, what's the data, tell me when, are the, when along this customer journey are the pieces of data written in? And as we go through that, then it gives us a much better understanding about, okay, what is what's the data that we're looking at? And what are good values and bad values? You know, for instance, can I have a value that's more than 100%? Does it make sense for someone to, um, to have a purchase value of like $1,000? Uh, or does it make more sense for that to be a $5 purchase? And, and that allows me to better understand the business. I also find out sometimes it helps the person who provided me the data some a chance to better understand that business as well. Because even though they're thinking about 24-7, they may not be in a customer experience or a, um, or a data collection group. And so we'll come up with fundamental questions that say, well, can, can, can someone go from this point to this other point here? Or what happens if, if, um, what happens if for example, their subscription is about to run out? Do we know if they get some, some reminder to renew? And so we'll go through those business level questions and that helps us better understand what's the data we're looking at. Once we have that understanding, then I can go off and spend the time to go ahead and do the data wrangling. And throughout that whole process, I've ex uh, we, all, we explain that, yes, you've given us the data, but I actually need to make sure the data is right. Yeah, and I need to be um, and I need to be able to interpret what it means when I have a negative value for um, for purchase price or a negative value for um, for um, for a net promoter score, and then we need to go and then we need to go back and understand how did that information get there. Um, it also helps us to understand what data do we need to collect and where does it sit, because they may think they give they give us all the data. But then as we're going through that customer journey, we may find out, well, what happened? How do you know if this, if X, Y, or Z happened? Oh, that's in some other table. Okay, well now we need to do some other processing for that. So as we go through that kind of a process, we educate um, people in, in, order to, in order to understand, yes, a lot of it is this 80% of the time 
is doing data munching. Mm. Um, but in order to uh, in order to do that and know that we've done it well, we really need a good understanding of what your business is. Well, I really appreciate one you're leveraging your marketing experience, right? By laying out the customer journey or the user experience. And secondly, you're really understanding the, the business, the business process, the business operations, and, and putting that heavy lift up front so that y- you and your stakeholders um, you know, have a consi- are on the same page in terms of the data and the business process. And you know, really essentially you're identifying data that you could be missing, that should be part of your analysis. Um, and you know, you're know, you eliminating some of the blind spots, I think, which is really one of the fundamental things that I see a lot of data scientists miss. Like they don't think about the business process or understand the, the industry. And secondly, they're so blindsided by you know, just the data they have at hand. They, don't, they never question what additional data sets or sources I should be including, so. You know, I'll add on to that by saying, I think it's also showing respect to your client because mm-hmm. I, can, I will not go in and pretend to understand their business. Every business is very complex is very, and is very unique. And if I don't want to understand, if I don't take the time to ask the people who know about it, um, how that business works, or if I don't uh, take the time to understand that business myself, I'm really doing them a disservice and I'm not showing them the respect that they, that they deserve. Because if, if, um, if the business wasn't um, unique and if it wasn't complex, then what, you know, they wouldn't have a job because there's no need for them. But that's not the case. They have their jobs, they're doing quite well, um, which tells me that, okay, there must be something, there's something to this and there's um, something to be learned from them. Yeah. Well, I think there is this uh, thinking that there is an elephant in the room that people don't talk about, which is, you know, a lot of investment goes into these technology initiatives, you know, whether it's uh, data-driven initiatives, the MDM, data quality, data governance, but, uh, you know, either they're driven by from technology side with not much of a business support, right? Uh, even if the business support is there, the immediate things of revenue, cost reduction, those take precedence and they go by wayside. So there is this elephant in the set, majority of these initiatives fail, right? So, so Phil, what's your observation? Uh, what's your experience like? Is it still the case? Are our organizations getting better at dealing with you know, the data management aspect so they can make this initiative successful? You know, actually, I think a lot of it really has to do with fit in that, um, when a company goes off and looks for a solution, they should be looking for a solution that works best for them for where they are in the maturity cycle of, um, or the technology maturity cycle. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I learned this the hard way myself. So let me give an example. Um, so when I was director of marketing at um, NBC Universal, uh, Universal Suits Hollywood, um, that's in the travel and tourism industry. And I wanted to transform our CRM department, take it to the next level. And so um, in travel and tourism, the companies that are best in class typically come from Vegas casinos. They know how to collect data on their consumers. Remember those uh, loyalty cards? Yeah. And they know how to, um, how to model their consumers and they know how to segment them really well. And so I went off and I hired somebody from one of these Vegas casinos, someone who spoke SQL like you and I speak English. And I love working with them. The guy was fabulous. Mm. 
but our company was here and he was up here. And so he was talking about algorithms. In fact, he was writing um, programs that were probably about three or four years ahead of where we needed to be, uh, or, or ahead of what we were ready for. And I did not do the proper job of selling this in t- and educating my CMO. I, um, I would come in and I'd say, well, here's this metric that everyone uses. And if you can't go into some, an executive and just take them and have them take it for granted because you know she'd been in the industry for let's call it 30 years. And I was coming in talking about something that was foreign to her and went against some of her intuition. And so it's very easy to just go ahead and say, yeah, that might be the case in overall, but that's not true for my industry. And so how do we go ahead and apply that? Or how do I know it's going to work for the, for the, um, for the company we're in? And so when I hear about, and, and, and by the way, um, so that, that person I hired um, left after about a year, maybe a year and a half, just figuring, well, he could apply his talents somewhere else, a place yeah. that was ready for him. Okay. And so when I hear about companies having these, um, these programs that fail, I wonder, are they, get, are, they, are they picking a program that's right for them? Are they, um, you know, it, it talk about crawl, walk, run. Um, mm-hmm. You know, are they picking the, the right product for, for the crawl or during the crawl? Or they, are they, did they go off and did they buy the run and when, they're just, when they're not ready for it? And being ready for it um, doesn't ne- isn't just the, having the product that's ready for it, but it also means having the um, internal alignment as well. So you know, about three or four years after um, after that person left, uh, we got to a point where, as an organization, we had transformed and evolved to a point where we we're ready for someone of his talents, and we were using some of the metrics and some of the techniques that he brought in but the timing just didn't work out right. And I actually needed more people to be hired who thought along those lines to help, um, to help shepherd that, that shift in the company. That's, that's, a, that's a great, great story. Um, and I see that in a lot of organizations as well, you know, not finding, um, not picking the right solution or just um, the advancement and the technology is just not, the right fit so ultimately um fails um fails so i thought i would ask um one last question on my part before um ramesh was probably gonna ask another question and i know we talked about um you know just taking a step back right um you are already in an analytics company you do consulting already but i talked to a lot of organizations who are actually not doing any analytics right there's they're still coming up with uh, a business use case. Um, so how would you actually um, sell or actually pitch why companies should be doing more analytics or actually you know, formalizing a data analytics program? Yeah, so, so the first thing that I would say is if you don't transform and um, become more analytic, you could, uh, you may not exist in a few years. And we've seen this already. So you take a look at how technology has disrupted industries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, Borders uh, versus Amazon uh, would, would be an easy one. Um, but you're seeing a, uh, seeing a lot of companies where, or, or for another one, Blockbuster versus Netflix. That, that came to my mind as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So 
if you want to, um, if you want to survive, and if you want to do well, you need to innovate. And I can come up, and we can come up with, you know, tens and hundreds of companies that did not innovate, and they're all sitting on the side of the road. And you can see memes of them um, saying, "Yeah, the, what dinosaur is this? I, you know, I don't even recognize this company." Um, so, so that's one thing I would say. The other is uh, it really depends on the company's culture. So you have to build that, um, that culture of innovation or that culture of, of being willing to, um, to try something new. And what I'd say here is um, what's worked well for a number of different companies is running a lot of different small tests. So understood that if you are the market leader, the 800 pound gorilla, um, what's worked for you for the past hundred years is probably going to still work for you at least for a while. Um, so you probably don't want to go ahead and bet the farm on some new analytic capabilities, but maybe you take a small line of business. Maybe you take us for one product. Maybe you do like a certain time of year or you're um, certainly not peak season where you run a few tests and you say, well, okay, um, I'm going to test, uh, for example, this new segmentation method, or I'm going to test this new marketing mix model. And I'm going to run a number of small different tests and I'm going to learn. And it's okay if I fail because I've learned something. So you have to, you know, so it's about creating that, that culture of um, taking risks and learning and being able to say, if, if I don't, um, even if the result isn't what I want, what I want it to be, then at least I've learned something and I know what not to do in the future. Uh, part of this also involves, um, you know, taking a look at um, bringing an analytics um, consulting group or um, to, um, to, run, to run your small tests because it takes a lot of effort to build up a data team. And if you don't know if the data team's right for you, why do you want to put that investment up front um, when you can go ahead and hire somebody else to do some small tests for you and see if that, if that works? So that could be a consulting team, an agency, whatever it may be, um, to, to run these tests. And then after you get comfortable with that, then decide whether or not you want to have um, an analytics team or at least an analytics person. And then you, then you have to decide whether you're going to have a centralized analytics team or whether you're going to have a distributed team, but that's farther along the line. Um, what's, what I think is more important, Peggy, for the question you asked was, how do I, um, how do I build the case to say that yes, analytics is useful? And the, way you, and the way you do that is to have that culture of, of learning, that culture of innovation um, and, and run these tests and come up with enough positive examples to where you could say, okay, I think it's worthwhile. I think it makes sense for us. And not, it doesn't make sense for every company to have it. You know, maybe a company could decide that they want an analytics agency full-time all the time. And it's not in their DNA to have an internal analytics group. And that's perfectly fine. It's, it, all, it all depends on, on you know, what's right for that company at that point in time. Great, actually, Phil, I think you covered a lot of ground. Um, one is your own journey, through your own journey, you told people how to transition from whatever background they are into a data scientist if that's what they want to do, right? I mean, we have gone through a step-by-step -step instruction. And then we also went through how companies should think about putting the data analytics into practice you know, having a lighthouse project and then try to learn, try to bring in external help. And then through the process you learn, right? So you have a step-by-step -step Phil Bangayan's recipe for analytics programming in, in your organization, the way I look at it, right? Mm -hmm. 
So now let's wrap this segment with, uh, again, Phil Bangayan's futuristic look. This is the current state of industry. This is what companies are doing. This is what, uh, these are the trends, uh, you know, going forward. I mean, what's your take on the status and then the, the future in store for data science, for analytics, for AI, all of these things combined? I think that we are going to see um, more people coming into data science and AI mm -hmm. who want to round out the skill set. So a lot of times if someone wants to come into data science and AI, um, it's focused a lot on the technical. So learning the algorithms, writing the code. Um, it's, but I think we're missing that, the, that extra 10% about people being able to take that information and be able to ex explain what it means um, and, why, and why it matters to a company. Mm -hmm. And also take a look at the ethics of, of it as well. So that's an area that, um, that hasn't been um, addressed all that much, um, but I think it's something that we as data scientists need to spend some time thinking about because, um, because it's easy for us to focus in on the math but we need to take a step back and, and take and focus in, um, or should say focus in, but take a step back and look at um, what, what our data science products are, um, are doing and in particular those unintended consequences. That's fantastic. So that is great. Um, so Phil, uh, I, um, Peggy, do you have any other questions you want to ask? No, I mean, Phil, well said. I completely agree with you in terms of uh, future ethics, code of conduct among data scientists, um, the using data for good and also responsible use for data is uh, quite important. So I'm glad you shared that with us. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player, like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.